You're listening to Climate Champions, a podcast from the Architects' Journal. I'm Hattie Hartman, Sustainability Editor at the Architects' Journal. In this series, we're honing in on the frenzy of activity in the built environment as COP26 gets underway in Glasgow. And I'm Hattie's co-host, George Morgan, Director of 1.5 Architecture. Sustainability has come at the forefront of all the initiatives. Glasgow has pledged to become a carbon neutral in 2030, which is much earlier than any other UK city. And what I really like about what Glasgow is doing is this idea of a just transition. Glasgow has been through a transition before, from an industrial city to a third sector city. And now we are in the brink of a a new transition from a high carbon economy to a low carbon economy and our net zero goals. And we're learning from uh, the first transition in order to make the second transition better. As COP26 kicks off, Climate Champions brings you a special episode of what to see and do in person or virtually if you're in Glasgow or tuning in from afar. We have two guests today. First up, we speak to Paola Passino, an architect who has worked in various roles at Glasgow City Council for more than 15 years. Well before Glasgow was named host city for COP26, Paola worked with Jan Gell to lay the framework for many projects that are coming to fruition now. Paola is responsible for the Avenues, a public realm transformation of Glasgow City Centre, which we heard about in our last episode, and for commissioning new practice to activate the pop-up site adjacent to the COP26 Secure Zone, also featured in our last episode. For anyone who is in Glasgow in person during COP26, or any time for that matter, Paola has put together three online tours which can be followed either on foot or cycling of more than 200 sustainable projects around the city, many complete and some in the pipeline. Our second guest today is Eve Choi of ACAN, the Architects Climate Action Network, who will share with us what ACAN is up to in Glasgow during COP. In addition to the high-level talks which are taking place in the secure zone, there is loads to see and do around Glasgow. Also of interest to our listeners and a good way to engage even if you're not in Glasgow are the plethora of reports and initiatives released in the last few days in anticipation of COP26. I'll mention just four, and you'll find the links in the show notes. The RIBA's Built for the Environment report, which we discussed at length with Simon Alford in episode 15, is aimed at a global audience, especially policymakers, and is packed with exemplar projects and policy recommendations. LETI, the London Energy Transformation Initiative's Climate Emergency Retrofit Guide, 
is a comprehensive unpicking of the UK retrofit agenda, and it is a must-read. Architects Declare has just released its long-awaited practice guide. This is both a guide to how to streamline your own practices, operations, and critically, how to deliver this in projects. And finally, I do recommend the NLA's Resilient London Report, for which I authored the lead essay, as a snapshot of what's happening on the ground in London in terms of climate adaptation, an area seriously lagging behind net zero. This report includes a showcase of more than 100 projects currently in the pipeline that are tackling resiliency and net zero in different ways. Now, in terms of events in Glasgow, here's a quick roundup. The UKGBC has teamed with more than 40 partner organizations to deliver a virtual pavilion with 17 exemplar projects and a daily program of events. The UKGBC will release its own report, a Net Zero Whole Life Carbon Roadmap on Built Environment Day, which is November 11th. Check out the Sustainable Glasgow Landing at 220 Broomalaw, being curated by New Practice with a full program of fringe events throughout the two weeks and a place where you can wind down and have a pint at the end of the day. Look out for one of the closing sessions by Scott McCauley of the Anthropocene Architecture School, who will be looking beyond COP26 to what's next. For those of you who are really energetic, you can explore Glasgow through a series of 10K runs around different neighborhoods, an initiative put together by John Gilbert Architects, partnering with CEDA, the Scottish Ecological Design Association. And for anyone who is going to be in Edinburgh, check out Space, a pop-up venue for architecture, carbon, and the environment, spearheaded by Bennett's Associates and others. Located at the old fire station near Edinburgh College of Art, space will be open from 11 to 6 daily throughout COP26. And finally, I'd like to flag up the current issue of the AJ, our climate crisis issue, which takes a look at White Architecture's 20-story timber tower in northern Sweden, the current spate of buildings with green roofs and walls in the pipeline in London, and asks whether British land's retrofit of one Triton Square was really necessary for a building that was less than 20 years old. And now to our guests. Paula, thanks for taking time out from your busy schedule to speak to us. You worked with Jan Gell to lay the framework for much of the work that is currently underway in Glasgow today. What are the key outcomes of that early work? I would think that the main outcomes that came out of that was the lesson that Jan Gell gives to all cities, which is to observe what your citizens do, talk to them, count every movement, and then transform the data that you have collected into action, which is what we did at the time. So the framework had a number of recommendations that now we are delivering from big ticket items, such as cutting part of the motorway that cuts across Glasgow to smaller, more focused interventions that are being delivered in collaboration with the local community. Much of this work was already in the pipeline when Glasgow was named host city for COP26. So what specific initiatives has the city spearheaded as a result of hosting COP26? So sustainability has come at the forefront of all the initiatives. Glasgow has pledged to become a carbon neutral 
in 2030, which is much earlier than any other UK city. But I wouldn't know that it's specifically COP26 that has triggered this. Glasgow recognized the importance of really leading the low carbon transition before we were granted the opportunity to host COP26. And of course, hosting COP26 has brought the spotlight on our city where some of them were maybe wishful thinking and they will get a bit of um, push. But I would say that the heart of the city was already set in the right direction. And what I really like about what Glasgow is doing is this idea of a just transition. Glasgow has been through a transition before from an industrial city to a third sector city. And now we are in the brink of a, a new transition from a high carbon economy to a low carbon economy and our net zero goals. And we're learning from the first transition in order to make the second transition better. Lots of local authorities have declared a climate emergency a couple of years ago, including Glasgow City Council. But with council budgets cut to the bone and members feeling controversial measures like low traffic neighbourhoods might threaten their re-election, there's a limit to what councils can do. So Glasgow has a climate emergency implementation scheme and you've mentioned the ambition to be climate neutral by 2030. How is all that going and, and how do you see the edges of what local authorities can do to address climate change? Yeah, I think you framed this question really well. We have a challenge in our hands because our budgets are depleted, especially after the pandemic. And there is always a balance to be struck between really pushing the envelope towards change and still allowing citizens to feel comfortable with a change that is maybe a bit more slow paced so that people can get used to, to what is coming. So certainly for local authorities, there are very many challenges. And in terms of budget, we are looking at working with the private sector. So it is completely recognised that local authorities cannot do everything on their own, just with their own budget. But we have to seek alliances and we have to work together with the private sector to be able to implement real and substantial change. And also, citizens of Glasgow are doers. So if you look at some of the initiatives that are happening on the ground. Uh, there is, for example, a citizens energy company that is being created completely grassroots by citizens that want to embrace change. And we have at the moment, if I'm not wrong, two schools that are already powered this community energy company. So I think that citizens of Glasgow are main asset in then working with the private sector and really finding allies to bring change forward. You mentioned behavioral change. Can you give any examples of ways that you've been working with citizens or, or? So for example, let's say active travel. How do we engender behavioral change in active travel? Well, we need the carrot and the stick. We need on one hand uh, to make it more difficult for people to drive through the city center. But on the other hand, we need to make it pleasurable and easy and safe for people to be able to embrace whether it is cycling, any form of wheeling or walking. So I think that's exactly what we're doing. We are making it more difficult because we are looking to deliver 20 to 30% decrease of vehicular traffic in the city centre in the next few years. And we're doing so even with the avenues by really restricting the amount of space that is dedicated to cars. So it wouldn't be feasible or desirable to come in the city centre with cars, so personal vehicular transport. 
And on the other hand, we're making it very pleasurable because the avenues will deliver spaces for people to be able to move around the city in a pleasurable way. So the avenue, uh, the Takiho Street Avenue, which is Pilot Avenue, has seen an increase in cycling of 300% within the first year of being delivered. And I saw with my own eyes, families with young children cycling along, feeling safe and really enjoying the space. And Glasgow is a medium-sized city, which is the perfect ground to implement these changes because it's not so extended that people cannot actually make a journey on their bike and within a reasonable amount of time without having to cycle for two hours to go to work. So I think Glasgow in terms of size is the sweet spot. It's a big enough city that offers a variety of cultural amenities and you can find everything that you want to, but at the same time, it's not as big as London where commuting on the bike is not always feasible. So on the sort of topic of how people move around the city, you've mentioned some of the M8 being capped. I've seen on Twitter that there's a campaign to remove the M8 from the city centre and replace it with something better. Maybe like what was done in Boston with the big dig, replacing an elevated motorway with a park. Could this actually happen or is it a pipe dream? So we are all dying to know who is behind the Twitter feed that you have <laughs> to. And we have several guesses, but nobody really knows. The secret is still out there. Um, definitely the city is looking at the idea of capping part of the M8. The reason why I'm saying part of the M8, we would have loved to cap it all or even just um, do a feasibility study on the idea of capping it all. But unfortunately, because of how the levels of the roads are at the moment, it is not deliverable. So what we can deliver is a park on one block of the motorway. And we're certainly looking at it seriously. So it's not just a pipe dream. Obviously, there are a lot of considerations at stake, uh, such as funding. So let's talk for a moment about the storyboard for visitors and delegates that you've developed over the last few months. Can you describe it for our listeners and how do you hope people will use it? So, yes, um, it's, it, it is a story map. I am a bit of a GIS geek. I like to map everything that comes my way. And so one day I said, well, why not start a map with all the projects that are sustainable and that are supporting Glasgow towards its net zero ambition? And so that people of Glasgow, citizens of Glasgow, as well as visitors that will come to Glasgow during COP26, will be able to walk around the city, see our beautiful city, but also look at what the city is delivering on the ground or about to deliver in the next few years. And uh, it started as a small thing, and uh, I have now mapped more than 200 projects, and I'm sure that I haven't mapped them all. So I think that this map will survive COP26 and will become a legacy. It's been a fun journey because I didn't know about many of the projects. You've mapped the city centre. You've also mapped a couple of other areas right, when there are trails that people can follow either partially or in full, either walking or or cycling, I suppose. Absolutely, yes. To begin with, I only started with the one map, but then the the projects keep on growing, and uh, I figured nobody would be able to follow that trail in one afternoon or in one morning, so I split it in three trails, and I just followed the urban morphology of the city in terms of how I took the decision of defining the areas. For good or for worse, we have the, the motorway that cuts our city centre, and so that really defines an area. 
and we have a river that also defines the morphology of the city. So those are the two main guidelines. And then we have uh, High Street, which really defines a sort of boundary on the east of the city. So it was really easy to define the areas for walks. What do you know about the Built Environment Day or any fringe events that are taking place that may be of interest to our listeners? What I know and what I've been mapping are the fringe events, and there is a really rich amount of them. The ones that bring to mind are the New York Science Climate Hub that is going to be happening at SWG3, which is a very interesting venue, and so it's really nice to even just go and see it. Engine Works will host the Ghost House. Woods are going to have a house as well in the city centre. The Urban Design Group are going to host a full day of activities on the 10th of November in the city centre. Local architects have organised cop runs. Uh, You can join them in the morning at breakfast time and run a few circuits around the city, again, to see the city, but also to see some of the sustainable projects that are being delivered. So, yes, it's going to be a very busy time in the city. And obviously, my own event site and the Sustainable Glasgow Landing that now has uh, launched its website and has a very intense program of events and very interesting stakeholders. So we will make sure we put all of these links in the show notes so people can find them. So what's your view on COP26 and its legacy for Glasgow? Will there be any meaningful lasting benefits, do you think? Yes, and there will be. I think that COP26 has focused the mind, obviously, on sustainability. A few of the projects that I have delivered myself are uh, legacy projects. And just to name one, because it's been an amazing project to deliver, we've been working with Bloomberg Foundation to deliver an area of street art under the motorway in front of the Anderson train station. I, I can see you nodding, so you might have seen it. The change in that Location is unbelievable. The artwork is outstanding. Our artist, Gabriella Marcella, she's delivered an amazing work and really the community has embraced it. In that location as well, we have uh, prototyped rain gardens that collect water from the motorway. Civic engineers told us about that. Yeah, no, it sounds great. It is. And that's a legacy project that will stay with the citizens of Glasgow. But I think It's really the focus on climate and how important it is at every level, at local level and at global level. I think that's what is going to be the legacy of COP26 for the city of Glasgow. We developed an exhibition with University of Strathclyde and SHELG, the Centre for Environmental Law, to really explain to everybody why is COP26 important and um, at local level, at a global level. And the exhibition can be seen at our Sustainable Glasgow landing site, but it can also be downloaded from the story map so that anyone who would like to have a small exhibition in their school or in their city or in their house, by all means, uh, they can download and print uh, the, the, the panels. Yes, and you can also see this on your phone. So it explains COP26 and it, what it's all about at high level and brings it down to the everyday. Thank you, Paolo. That just sounds really interesting. It all sounds great. I used to live in Glasgow, so yeah, I'll have to pop up and check out all these great projects.
Our second guest is Eve Choi, one of the London-based coordinators of ACAN, the Architects Climate Action Network. ACAN has been busy for several months preparing its presence at COP26. Originally from Melbourne, Eve has been working in London for over five years and has been closely involved with ACAN throughout the pandemic. I saw you speak on behalf of ACAN at the RIBA Smart Practice Conference last year in 2020, I believe. Eve, it's great to have you with us today. Tell us about your role at ACAN and which work streams you've been involved with. I am currently ACAN's Events and Action Coordinator. I'm not part of any specific work stream, but I do work with most of the working groups to find out how it is that we can bring the good work of the working groups into the wider audience of ACAN. And funnily enough, I have started this role at the beginning of lockdown, so most of it is through virtual events. But I'm really excited to be going to COP and seeing what we can do in a physical space. And what can you tell us about ACAN's plans for COP26? It was kind of a bit of a funny one because early days we didn't know what was going to be the plan with COVID, but I think we knew that definitely we wanted to be there physically. Initially, we did try to make an application into the official zones, but what we ended up deciding on was that potentially a fringe venue would be more suited to us so that we can host our own events and control the narrative. We're essentially doing a series of exhibitions, events and workshops across two venues in Glasgow, one being New Glasgow Society. They've got an East and a West gallery and our main venue for events um, and also other exhibitions would be many studios. That would be predominantly the first week of COP. What exactly are you planning? Yeah, to start with the exhibition. So in New Glasgow Society, we've got an exhibition called Architecture of Crisis, Hopes and Vision. And through that exhibition, what we really wanted to showcase was the campaigns of ACAN so far. We understand that maybe some of the people attending these exhibitions might not have known about ACAN before. So it's kind of an introduction of who we are. But we also wanted to showcase what our hopes are for COP. So we've got that exhibition going across both um, galleries. It will start in the East Gallery and move to the West. And when we move to the West, the exhibition will be reframed as actions post-COP and things that we're hoping will be taken on board after COP is already done. In many studios, what we have planned is a series of events that both ACAN and also from our partner organisations. Our approach to our events during COP was really going back to basics and reconsidering who our target audience is. And we kind of realized that the built environment is a really big blind spot. So even the fact that the built environment day is on the last day feels like a bit of a snub for the industry. So the aim of all of our events and exhibition is to bring more awareness to the industry's impact to a universal audience. Overall, our events target a whole range of issues with a whole range of audience, but individually, we're kind of more focused with each individual event. And being there physically was really important to us, as we believe that we might be one of the few built environment organizations to be there. So how many people, how many ACANners do you think are going to be actually on the ground in Glasgow? It is hard to say because I think there will be quite a lot of us coming and going. We've obviously got ACAN Scotland and ACAN members already based up in Scotland. We think that there might be an additional maybe 10 people coming up from London. And we really wanted to interact with the local audience and people on ground because it's something that we've really lacked for the past year and a half. Can you give us an example of some of the events you're planning? Yes. 
one of the events that we're planning is called Deconstructing Carbon. So this will be a lunchtime event on the Wednesday in conjunction with ASBP. And we realized that there's quite a lot of architectural jargon being thrown around, particularly in regards to carbon. So the purpose of this event is really just explaining what is embodied carbon, how do we measure it, how do we reduce it, and how this also translates to policy. Now, I was going to ask you, which Wednesday, what date is that event going to be? That event will be on Wednesday, the 3rd of November. So is there a link that people can find out? Where where do people go to find out what you're doing? You should be able to find that on our website, on the top right-hand corner, there'll be a link that says COP26, and that will lead to all of our Eventbrite's. Another event that we'll have going on will be the Replicating Retrofit event. So this is building off the steam of the Households Declare campaign. And this will be on the same day as the Deconstructing Carbon event, but in the evening. And what we'll be doing for this event is bringing together a panel of speakers, for example, from People Powered Retrofit and Carbon Co-op. What do we need to do in terms of retrofit? And how do we campaign for a national retrofit strategy? What other activities in London and elsewhere is ACAN planning for COP26? So we are quite aware that we actually won't be present doing events in COP over Built Environment Day, but we thought it would be really important to create as much noise as possible. So Aiken Sweden, France, Portugal, what we're planning is to do a social media campaign around the Built Environment Day. And this will hopefully be in the form of a, a banner drop. So we're hoping to flood social media with as many messages about the built environment as possible to really push for more ambitious political action on the built environment. So how should people support that by like retweeting things that they see? Are there resources that people can use for that? If you kind of see something that is relevant, taking part in that social media storm would be really great to be able to spread the message as far as we can. Is there anything else you think you want our listeners to know about? So on Thursday, the 4th of November in the evening, starting at 6.30, we have an event that we're calling Cop or Flop, and it's a bit of a fun one. And the reason why we've decided to go with a fun event is because we kind of wanted to remind people that activism should be enjoyable and that we're allowed to take a step back and kind of laugh at the situation sometimes. And I know it's sometimes quite hard to do because with climate change upon us, it it can feel quite depressing. But with this particular event, we're collaborating with Architecture Fringe and we've got local comedian Raymond Marnes coming in. And it's basically going to be a satirical event where we're questioning the effectiveness of COP. So it'll be a fun evening with drinks and Raymond will basically give the government and corporations a good old roast. Sounds like you've got a busy program. Thanks a lot, Eve. Once COP26 is behind, our next series of episodes will delve into the topic of reuse, and we'll kick off by talking to reuse pioneer Duncan Baker-Brown about where he sees the reuse agenda really gaining traction. If you're enjoying Climate Champions, please rate us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. It helps people find us so we can build an audience. You can find the show notes for this and previous episodes at architectsjournal.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.